0: Awesome. So welcome to the Ronan Rescue Cast. Today, all the way on the other side of the planet, yet again, we have from Ireland, Dave Connolly. Did I say that right, Dave? Yeah, 100%. You got it. All uh, right. Don't all right. It. Why don't you just give the listener a bit of a background, who you are, how you got into the
1: rescue and fire service and what have you. Uh, thanks, Mark. So uh, look, you got my name, Dave Connolly there. And um, I started off my career professionally in the Permanent Defence Forces in Ireland, which would be the uh, the Irish military. I spent a little under four years there. I would have been in an artillery unit as a as a gunner, uh, moving on to become a sniper. Uh, and within that, I kind of would have done some uh, confidence training, not the courses, but we would have helped out with um, setting up projects for children who would go out on a, a president's award a thing called the goshka so we would have been setting out adventure weeks for them um prior to that though I would have been in the scouts in ireland uh, so there would have been an awful lot of outdoor activities like hill walking mountaineering abseiling and climbing and i suppose that's where my love of ropes started um and then i joined dublin fire brigade back in 1997 which wasn't today or yesterday. Kind of twenty six years plus. Uh, I'm currently a station officer in Dublin, based out of Fibbsborough Fire Station, where we is the home for technical rescue in Dublin. Uh, I think that equates to a captain over in North America. Uh, I'm not entirely sure if it's exactly the same. So Dublin Fire Brigade is a an integrated fire based EMS services where all the firefighters are cross trained as paramedics. So one day you're on the ambulance, and then the next day you could be on the fire fire engine. Uh, The following day you could be on the emergency tender, which would be like our our, our rescue truck. Um, My other background, so what I do in Dublin Fire Brigade is I instruct in two disciplines of compartment firefighting training and breeding apparatus, uh, and I'm one of the rope rescue instructors. Uh, one One of the original instructors in Dublin Fire Brigade, when all of this kicked off for us formally back in about 2006-2007. Um, and Before I, I got old and uh, worn out, I used to do some kind of climbing and abseiling in a local disused quarry in Dublin called Docky Quarry, where kind of everybody goes, uh, which is great to meet up people. So that's kind of my background a bit professionally and, and a tiny bit personally. Okay. Wow.
0: You got uh, Well, pleasure to have you on and, um, I got a lot of questions based on that. And it's quite funny. Our backgrounds do have a tendency of crossing here, having spent some time in our armed forces in Canada. And you and I got on the fire service within about a year of each other. I'm a 96 guy. So when you talk about not yesterday, not the day before, it wasn't even the week before that, Um, (laughs) but uh, in a climbing background. So that's quite interesting. Um, Did you do any rope work in the armed
1: forces in Ireland? Um back in the day, there was no real formal work uh, in rope work. It's only kind of moved on, I'd say, in the last oh, 12, 15 years. It's become a very definitive pathway in the Defence Forces. Back when I was there, it, it was a much smaller level. Um, and I, I'm kind of raging that I had to leave the Defence Forces because I loved my time in the military. Uh, it's an awful lot of good things. It's... It, it got me to where I was in the fire brigade and um, so no I didn't really get to do a whole lot by helping out with some of the confidence training instructors back in the day right on um and you talk about a climbing background uh can you delve
0: into that a little bit more like where are the climbing hot spots in Ireland was this back in the days when we were running just plain old ATCs like the old tube style or is it you're using guides or like what kind of uh, situation was that about
1: yeah, well, no, I suppose it was really for me, I wouldn't be an authority by any stretch on the climbing scene in Ireland. Um, I used to do kind of just a lot of rock climbing and abseiling. So Docky Quarry is the biggest one in Dublin. It's just really easy to access with public, uh, public transport. So it would have been climbing using rocks, friends, uh, and, and abseiling using figure of eight devices. Um, real old school, brutal, but it worked sort of stuff. Um, other places would have been down in Wicklow, which would be known as the Garden of Ireland. There's a couple of different places. Uh, Hollywood is a small crag and you've got some stuff in another place called. Uh, sorry, my dog is just after walking in there to check out what I'm doing. Hey, Coco. <laughs> if you just heard that in the background. And uh, so then you would have had Glen the Lock and a few other places uh, down around Kerry. Um, but I'm not an authority on climbing. It was just something I did to pass time kind of when I was in college and scouts. Um, and then, glad, thankfully, my kids came along and I don't have time for it anymore. Because to be honest <laughs> with you, the greatest trick I've ever pulled is in convincing people that I'm not scared of heights. I am pretty scared of heights. And uh, nobody knows that, except for now to probably all be going, yeah, you're, you're pulling the leg, Dave. So, no, I'm not kind of happy on heights. I'm okay when I'm in harnesses, but without them, I'm a little bit nervous. Great, right on, And, uh, I mean, I think...
0: I've said it. Everybody's afraid of heights and everybody's claustrophobic. You just haven't been high
1: enough on the right day or in a tight enough space yet. If you're not, oh, I tell you, there's been plenty of days when I used to rock climbing where I've been on the on the crag and I'm nearly going. You know, I'm nearly crag fast myself. I need a rescue. I'm just pure petrified and you know, on, Look, <laughs> I gotta go up. I think I was just more afraid of, of the falling than than the height. So uh, yeah, just a lot of the time. You just work through it. Um, I remember, yeah, as kids
0: going out and climbing stuff we shouldn't have. And there was one day we are climbing just off the ocean. And we were probably 80 feet up. We had no ropes or anything with us. And that's when you're hitting that crux move and you're like, should I just try to push off the rocks and jump into the water at this point? Or should I try to make it through? And You know, you're like white knuckling the rocks for like five minutes. It seems like an eternity just trying to decide which way to go, right? <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. I, I've been that soldier because... Near where I live, it's a place called Hoth Peninsula, and uh, there's lots of little hidden coves and beaches and cliffs, and like that, as a young, bulletproof male, we just climbed all of these things, of course, nothing is ever going to go wrong, and I couldn't tell you how many times we tumbled off, but it was all right, because the big splash below you, you know, you'd live to fight another day.
0: Pretty much, yeah. So... You said you joined the uh, Dublin Fire Brigade in 1997. Um, what can you tell us about the Dublin Fire Brigade? How many stations, how many people? What's the size of Dublin for people? I mean, I haven't been there. I bet you I haven't been there since 1990. Oh, 2000, 97, somewhere in there. Probably when you got hired.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, we got to get you back then for a few points and maybe over for Patrick's Day. Uh, come March in the parade. with us. So we'll, uh, we'll try and organize that for the future, an excuse to get you back. Yeah, absolutely, but... So uh, Dublin Fire Brigade, well, Dublin starting off is a population of in around one and a half million people. And uh, so Dublin Fire Brigade is the fire EMS emergency response for the city uh, and the surrounds. Uh, we have 14 sta- full-time stations, I'm uh, sorry, 14 stations, 12 of them are full-time. We've got two retained pager stations. And... Uh, We have about 24 fire engines, Uh, we have 14 ambulances, and we have a range of specialist appliances. So our headquarters would be based in the city centre in Tara Street. That would be known as a two-pump fire station. So it would have two pumps, two fire engines, two turntable ladders, two ambulances, a district officer, which I think kind of equates to a battalion chief, battalion commander somewhere around that over in the North Americas. Uh, And then a couple of specialized vehicles like an incident command unit and um, an environmental unit. So if you kind of imagine a dartboard with headquarters being the bullseye, we then have an outer ring of what's called two pump stations, strategically located. Uh, And each two pump station, it's kind of made up in like wedges, kind of like a trivial pursuit uh, wedge. So each... Two-pump station then has an outer ring with a sister station uh, broken up into six districts, Alpha Bravo, Charlie Delta, Echo and Foxtrot. Uh, and each district then would have its own specialty. So you'd have the two-pump station on the inner ring. The outer ring would be the one-pump station, but the district would specialize something. So my district is Charlie District, and our specialties would be technical rescue and swift water rescue. And Delta District would specialize in, uh, they have the port and docks in their district, so they specialize in important dock fires and uh, tunnel firefighting. Um, So that's kind of how the the fire service is broken up. We are full time, so we have two shifts. We do a day shift, nine in the morning till six in the evening. And then the night shift takes over from six in the evening right through till nine the next morning, 15 hours. Yeah that's kind of fire Brigade in a nutshell uh, the things we would kind of respond to would be obviously fires ems work makes up about 75 80 percent of our calls they're in around one hundred and thirty thousand calls a year um do obviously road traffic collisions uh other things we do is is a thing called marine emergency response we're a declared resource to the local to the coast guard in ireland where we supply marine trained firefighters to get picked up by the Coast Guard helicopters and flown out to vessels on fire anywhere within the Irish seaboard, about 200 miles around the, uh, off the coastline of Ireland. Um, that's kind of specialist firefighting, and, and firefighters have to be in at least five years before we're allowed to do that, uh, just because it needs a little bit more experience because of the nature of the hostile environments you might end up going into wow okay there's a lot to break down in here so some of it's very similar to
0: the fire departments in north america some of it's absolutely not um just a couple really quick questions 15 hour night shifts how many yeah. platoons or uh sh- like shifts do you have do you run four platoons or three platoons oh
1: i'm not sure what you how to relate to platoon so um I, i'll give you my station so fibs fire station on either a day or night shift it's the same it's Broadly the same, Manning, we would have um, 12 or 13 firefighters on duty uh, and then we'd have four officers on duty. And it's the same for both day and night. So that gives us uh, an officer and four on each fire engine, an officer and two firefighters on our emergency tender and two firefighters on the ambulance.
0: But like you work one day,
1: three off, one day, two off. Like what's that schedule look like? Oh, sorry, I understand you now. Our schedule schedule is, broadly speaking, it's three days on, three days off. And the three days on are made up of either a day shift and two night shifts, or then the next one will alternate to two days and a night shift. Now, there's an anomaly in there I won't won't bore you with, but (laughs) it's a 28-day cycle, and every 28 days we'll do one of each day and one of each night, so seven days and seven nights uh over the 28 day cycle
0: okay no that's just there's a lot of conversation on my side of the pond about you know shifts and what have you people want to do 24 hours and things like this so it's always interesting to see what other folks are doing out there um you mentioned that your district does tech and swift water what does tech entail like tech rescue is it strictly rope or do you do confined space and trench and USAR, or is that a different district
1: so where we are is, Ireland is kind of, um, rescue in Ireland is, it's it's transitioning. So technical rescue for us involves kind of like confined space rescue capabilities. We don't have any our or uh, trench rescue capabilities yet. There is a working group set up to look at it with a view to implementing it, I would like to say in the near future. Um. We had a very, very serious, tragic incident, increased now within the last few months, uh, a good few people, a building collapsed. So we didn't have a response capability on, on in Ireland. We had to get assistance from the USAR teams across in Northern Ireland. Um, so we have a working group set up looking at that. Uh, so technical rescue for us would be all rope rescue, confined space rescue, that kind of stuff.
0: Okay, um. Now, you had mentioned that you're an instructor for rope
1: rescue. So that would be rope in confined space then? Yeah, so we do. So we, the, the confined spaces, we use a, a quad pod and you have the traditional. We might teach the local authorities um, because Dublin Fire Brigade, our ultimate employer would be the local authority, Dublin City Council, on behalf of the four local authorities within the city. And so sometimes, you know, we train the, the staff who would work in drainage in, in rescue from confined spaces, the the traditional quad pod set up over a, a manhole. Um, but we also, the, the kind of things that we train for in rope rescue would be industrial rescue, the likes of silos, tower cranes. Uh, then we also have a quarry in our area of operations and cliffs around the peninsula of hope. So we train up for, for those now the way it's set up in, in in ireland we have voluntary agency the coast guard and they have cliff rescue teams so we do an awful lot of interagency work working with the coast guard so in the event if they're unavailable for a call, you particularly like around covid they weren't always available because there was training issues so we need to be able to st- be able to fill that gap um so we do a little bit of interagency training like for example hope peninsula has 600,000 tourist visitors per year of walkers and tourists and walking the dogs along the cliff walks sometimes the dogs go over they need to be rescued sometimes people you know injure their legs and need to be rescued and so it takes it takes up a bit of our training for doing that the other area where the rope rescue where i really see the benefit for us is in is patient handling it's uh, that's where I see it progressing into in the future, uh, particularly with the likes of bariatric patients. A lot of Dublin's building stock is old buildings, and the newer ones are being built with lifts that are too small to take a full size stretcher. So, any non-ambulant patients a couple of floors up in a, an apartment block, we can't take them down the lift because it doesn't—it's not big enough to t- take the stretcher, and Invariably, the staircases are too narrow to have a stretcher with firefighters either side carrying it down without having to be able to adopt awkward postures. So we've developed techniques for getting around those. Um, one of those techniques is called the dermot. We have a tendency of naming techniques after the person that brings it to the table. So the dermot is a simple staircase lower. I would have sent you a couple of pictures there on Instagram earlier uh, just to give you an idea very simply it's it's an id or a descender with an asap connected into a stretcher and uh, we just do a control lower and we keep the stretcher above the handrail level on the staircase and it kind of just floats down and we just steer it all the way down um a couple of other techniques we we we, we have one called the windy which is a for a guy, one of the guys, Wyndham, brought it to us for how to navigate a difficult ninety-degree edge using a hand ascender and a foot loop. And then we have the Billings method, and um, that's got nothing to do with family planning, by the way, unless it goes wrong. <laughs> uh, and it, it's uh, it's a technique we use for launching messenger lines. Most sensible rope rescue teams use something like a big shot catapult. Uh, we use what's called a hurl and a slither, uh, which is a, a a unique way of launching messenger lines i would have sent you a video there we were we, we uh, showed oliver how to do it over in Grimp in 2022 it was kind of interesting and um, yeah so that's kind of, please do send a video of that we'll post it up but that's uh, i'd love to see that cool and um, so yeah we're all about having a crack really like you know like yeah there's traditional ways to do things but you gotta have a bit of fun a bit of crack along the way and um, by the way crack is nothing to do we're not addicts over here in ireland <laughs> Crack is just a colloquial thing we're saying, having the fun. So don't take it the wrong way. No, no fair enough. Uh, I do love some of the local slang when you go
0: around and do different things. A lot of our boys, after teaching rope rescue in the French side of Belgium, have picked up all of the good French uh, slang and swear <laughs> words.
1: <laughs> I love it. We all we all start with the basics, how to get a beer and how to swear. Yeah, exactly. So,
0: um, just a couple of questions now in and around uh, rope and a couple of things I just want to clarify. You mentioned a quad pod. I've seen them overseas. Most people in North America may not, not most, but there are a lot of people in North America wouldn't know what a quad pod is. Could you uh, just
1: kind of describe what that is? Yeah. So, if, if you take your normal standard tripod, uh, and stick an extra leg on it, and you've got a quad pod. Uh, it's just our training provider who kind of formalised rope rescue for us in Dublin Fire Brigade back in two thousand six or seven. This is one of the pieces of equipment they brought to us because the tripods that were readily commercially available in Ireland at the time were only rated for a single person load, and we because we were obviously in the rescue business, we needed to deal with the rescue load of two people. So that's where the quad pod came along. It was just a stronger piece of material. Uh, take a, a safe working load of 500 kilos and it uh, allows us to bolt a winch onto it. So yeah, yeah, it's a tripod with an extra leg.
0: So I have two more questions then. Um, who's the manufacturer of that and what winch do you use?
1: So the manufacturer is a company called SAR. I believe they're based in United Kingdom. And the winch we use on it is just a self-tailing capstan winch, um, which uh, the one we have has got a gearing ratio of three to one, one direction, and I think it's nine to one, the other direction. So it's a lot of hard work. <laughs> we've just recently, because because that winch is such hard work when you're trying to raise a patient, uh, we made a business case to try and move on to get a Harkin lockhead. So we've purchased one on uh, a trial to see if we can get a few more if they're going to work out for us. Um, I've had my eye on it for a while, and it just looks like a much better piece of kit. So it's only arrived in the stores a couple of weeks ago, and I'm still waiting on the power drill to go with it. Uh, I'm dying to get my hands on it and have a play with it.
0: Yeah, I know with us, we've got a couple jobs in pen stocks where we're talking seven, 800 foot. So what are you talking there? Uh, 200 meter now, more than that, lowers or raises. and. It's, yeah, you don't want to be doing that with anything but a winch.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I suppose what really brought it to a head for us was recently we've a new crane in the city. It's a hundred meter high crane on a building, and it just threw up a few anomalies. Most of our ropes, our ropes are always traditionally hundred meters long. So we got we've got we've got a new hundred meter crane. uh Okay, so we need to get longer ropes now, hundred fifty meter ropes. We're just getting equipment up and down and and, and stretches up and down doing that by hand is absolute torture. So moving on to powered winches uh, with a manual backup is probably where we're heading to. Right on. Now you say
0: rope started, we're kind of jumping back and forth a bit here, but you said rope started in 2006, 2007 for the Dublin Fire Brigade. And was yeah, there a defining that- moment that, you know, hey, this had to happen or is, were you doing stuff before and this just became the natural
1: progression for professionalism? Yeah it's 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 kind of the ladder there I suppose if you go backwards as where it all started historically um there's a long history of rope work in the fire services in Ireland um, as far back as I was doing a bit of digging this back in 1939 just around the, the outbreak of World War II kind of era we had a piece of law called the air raid precautions act and This required that the local authorities had to establish an auxiliary fire service to augment the regular full-time in the event of an attack from the air. So the local authority was responsible for the organisation of this auxiliary fire service in accordance with instructions they would have received from the Department of Defence. So the Department of Defence also supplied them with pumps, ropes and lines and stretchers and that kind of equipment. And in in preparation for and the events they used to do drills and training but they also used to run competitions what you or i would kind of nowadays call like a grim competition they used to run competitions in the barracks uh where they'd be doing things like derricking stretchers and decontamination of first aid challenges so like back in 1944 they were running rope rescue competitions so uh, rope work has always been in parts of the Forest Service in Ireland between doing, uh, on our turntable ladders, we would have uh, a sling rescue with a bollard and cleat uh, uh, on the ladder set, we would have been raising equipment aloft, hauling it with chair knots. so it's always kind of been there, but in 2006, uh, Ireland is part of the EU, and uh, the EU issued a directive, the Work at Height Hy- uh, directive back in 2006, Uh, And that was a whole new set of rules and regulations and law around working with height. And Dublin Fire Brigade is a workplace like no other. So the rules fully applied to us. So that kind of formalized, because we're doing a lot of work from height and rescues, we needed to have a backup plan for our own staff. And that kind of crystallized where the rope rescue started formally within Dublin Fire Brigade. We had an outside training provider came in and, and started teaching us some various techniques and skills. Uh, so that's where it really started from. But back then, the equipment that we were using, uh, I'm sure you'll be familiar with, we used to use the thing called a, a 540 BLA, and we had a Pro-Alp Descender, which was a nice piece of equipment, but it, by Lord was it slow to open it, because there was a little thumb wheel on the side, you just keep, have to keep spinning it to separate the two plates. To reduce the friction and let the, the rope travel through as a descender, so you didn't, it didn't didn't operate very quickly. Now it was good and reliable. And then we had things like a bolt-on six-to-one uh, ready-made with, you know, six mil cord in it for if we had to break into tight lines. Uh, whereas nowadays we kind of do rig for rescue where we have a releasable anchor already built into the system, so we don't have to go back into breaking into tight lines. It's already rigged out for us.
0: So yeah, it sounds like like very much in Europe. As well, uh, not just you, it sounds like there's a bit of a cave influence. A lot of those bolt-on or piggyback mechanical advantage systems and using the smaller dam or cordage to do that.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and it was all kind of new to us. Um, we the, the rules around it are pretty strict in Europe, in you must have a main line and you must have an independent backup line. So when it comes to doing SRT, sorry, single rope techniques. They're very, very limited in the scope that we can use them. Uh, Basically, we have to be able to justify why using the second rope uh, would not be safer. So there's very few situations where we can't justify using the second backup line.
0: Okay. Um, And now the systems you use, are you primarily like a main and belay system on like an ASAP or some sort of belay line? Or are you
1: running twin tension systems, or are you doing both? So the last evolution of our rope rescue manual um, that we put together a couple of years ago, it would have been mainline with dedicated belay. But we also would have had the options for uh, twin tension systems, but not very formalized, where we're kind of we're, we're kind of in a state of change at the minute. Um, as a result of kind of going and, and preparing for some of the competitions out there, we've kind of seen there's other techniques out there that are available that our, our previous training provider didn't make us aware of. So we've kind of the instructors themselves have come back. Look, I've seen this, I've seen that. Can we try this? And we tease it out in our training centre. So we kind of need to move it and advance it forward. So uh, it's a project that I'm kind of start a couple of your project has started to move on Dublin Fire Brigade Rope Rescue Response. Um, I would have a vision in my head that we could become a national resource deployed anywhere within the country because not all the fire services in Ireland have a rope rescue capability. We have, just to give you an idea, Ireland has uh, a population of around 5 million people and within that we have, I think it's 32 fire authorities. Uh, and of that, maybe a third of them have rope rescue capability. Some of the other required or more rural ones would rely on volunteer service, like the local mountain rescue team or the local coast guard unit to help them out if they came across a rope rescue incident. So I'd love Dublin to become a national resource that can be deployed anywhere on the island. Uh, so that's kind of a project I'm working on to kind of bring us and move us on into the 21st and 22nd century is kind of what I'm working on.
0: Right on. And now for folks that maybe don't understand the geography you're talking to drive from the border border of Northern Ireland down to the bottom of Ireland or drive wide, what are we looking at for time or for kilometres?
1: Ah, you see, right, kilometres, it's not huge, but the roads are what take the time. <laughs> oh, so if we were to drive east to west, so from Dublin on the east coast across to, say, Mayo on the west coast, 250, no more than 300 kilometres. Okay. But it could take you five or six hours. You'll get three quarters of it done in two hours, and then you hit the smaller roads, the country roads, and you, and you, and it just takes forever. And then north to south from uh, kind of Malinhead to head the two upper uh, two extreme points. Oh, I'm gonna say nine ten hours. Uh, but it's only about four hundred and fifty kilometres, maybe. I think now I'm gonna be. I'm to I'd say there's loads of people gonna come on and correct me on all those, and I, I'm <laughs> apologise if I don't have an accurate.
0: And we're talking rope rescue. We're not talking, you know, this isn't the Travel Channel podcast.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Look, it's a small enough island, but uh, we've got lots of small back roads, uh, and that's part of the charm of the place, too. Right on. Um, Now, how did you get into
0: rescue in the fire service? Like you said, you had the background with climbing. Was it something you have to apply for there, or do they come to you and go, hey, you can actually tell both ends of a rope
1: from each other? We want you on the team, or... (laughs) No, it was something we applied for. It was something I would have been passionate about all through my life. And kind of when, when the opportunity came up, like I seized it with both hands and I made a, a pretty powerful case for for getting me involved. Um, nearly against the senior officer's better judgment at the time. But I, I'd like to think I've proved them wrong because I'm still there. I'm still doing it and I'm still trying to move it on in advance. So, yeah, I applied for it because uh, it's just something I'm passionate about. Uh, it's kind of like mindfulness for me. Some people go fishing. I like to tie knots and ropes and swing around on them. Right
0: on. Um, is that still the case today? Is it still something that gets applied to? It's
1: actually one of the more uh, hotly sought after courses in the fire service in Dublin. Uh, like, loads of people want to get it, but it's only really available to people that are stationed in my station because you can't really make the case for training everybody up and then not keeping them up skilled. It's just a waste of resources and training time. So first thing is, you need to be based out of my station, Fibsborough, uh, permanently attached there, and then we'll get you onto a course. Um, so kind of running alongside that, I, I've set up a, a, a rope rescue team within Dublin Fire Brigade, and the goal of it kind of is to, to develop it and move it on and train people. So they're kind of volunteering to do it on their own time. I'm showing them all the skills that we've picked up and, um, and with a view to kind of progress and handing this over, because I'm at the latter end of my career at this stage. And I don't want to just walk out of the place and go and take all of this knowledge and skills with me. I kind of want to pass it on to the younger generation and they can continue on and, and develop it and push it forward. Um, because it's, it's not the Dave Connolly show and it's, it's certainly nobody else's show. Uh, there's only one reason any of us are here and that's to help people in the time of need so there's no point in me kind of ring fencing all and protecting all this information uh, and making me the expert you know what happens if if that expert isn't there and you're on a call so I, I really passionately believe everybody kind of needs to know about this stuff uh, and that's what I'm trying to spread it around right on
0: um so you've got a rescue truck in your station what like, what kind of vehicle is that? And you might have to be a bit specific on that because you're talking to folks from all over the world that, you know, you might have to actually explain that a little bit. And, like, what do you carry for your standard rope rescue, confined space rescue
1: kind of rollout on that vehicle? Okay, so uh, our emergency tender, uh, its a, uh, is it a Scania or is it a – I can't remember the make or model of the truck we have at the moment. It could be a Scania when we have. Um, anyway, it's a vehicle on a chassis. Uh, it's got six lockers, three, or sorry, four lockers to either side, and we have like a high-ab crane on the back of it. Okay. And so within that, it carries all the specialist rescue equipment for highline rescue, for swift water rescue, things like dog catchers. We have floating stretchers. We would have... Um, We would have, uh, oh, God, I'm after airlocking here. I have to take a pause on this one? (laughs) No, this is
0: excellent when this happens. You know, everybody realizes that these are, uh, you know, a lot of these questions aren't scheduled in advance. It's not like I sent you a list of things to go,
1: you know. So some of them are going to put you on the spot a little bit. Yeah, they certainly are. Uh, And I'm currently interviewing uh, candidates for recruits for the fire service in Dublin at the minute. Uh, so I, now I know how they feel when I throw out a question that they might not have prepared. <laughs> and the airline. So, uh, yeah, okay. So our emergency tender, it's a vehicle. Uh, it's a truck. has a high-ab crane on the back of it, and it has four lockers with equipment to each side uh, that they can push through, and it contains all our highline line equipment, our Swiftwater rescue equipment, inclu- including a uh, floating sled, It also has dog rescue, uh, dog catcher equipment. We have heavier extrication, battery powered uh, cutting gear. Um, And that's kind of what it it covers on it, privacy screens for road traffic collisions, that kind of stuff. So the highline gear that we would carry, we call it highline um, as opposed to rope rescue. And I just, it's something that is stuck in Dublin Fire Brigade, although we don't really do too many traditional highlines. So the equipment we kind of carry would be, we'd have six lines, three 100 meter lines in different colors and three 50 meter lines. We would have, they would all be static. We'd have two dynamic lines. We'd have a, a tech bag with all the metal gear. The ID is the descender of choice because there's a lot of crossover with our Swift water rescue training. So it's the same device. Um, we'd have ASAPs, we would have rescue senders, range of different pulleys, swivel pulleys. Uh, a strop, a rescue strop that's kind of like a helicopter one, but it has leg lips as well. And what we use that for is particularly around, around cliff rescues or quarries where someone is crag fast. You know, you want, you can build this strop around them like a harness without pulling them off the edge of the cliff. Uh, and then we have a quad pod for confined space uh, with a capstan winch, self tailing winch. Uh, and that's kind of mostly equipped. Obviously, the PPE tech bags. Then for each individual, we'd have, uh, we'd have a harness with a crawl in, in the chest, so we can ascend and descend, uh, do all the various rope access maneuvers.
0: Okay. Um, you mentioned a couple of things there that caught my attention. You said you have some dynamic lines. Do you do lead climbing then as well with your rope rescue program? Yeah. So
1: parts of the parts of the gig with being a rescue service is we have to prepare for every eventuality and some of the pieces of equipment that we have are all based on well, something happened, let's get equipment so we can have it for the next time you, we have done some training with the local constabulary here which, uh, on Garda we would have trained up there, some of their members uh, in a thing called protest removal teams, so for argument's sake you might have a protester up on top of a telecommunications tower or out the front top uh, front edge of a the jib of a crane so accessing out there sometimes yeah we'd have to lead climb out uh, and then set up a rescue technique when we're out there it just gives us that option for doing it All right on so i'm asked one other
0: question and i'm gonna go back to that uh dog catchers yeah you're talking like real like catching dogs running down the street or is this uh some sort of code word for
1: something i'm not quite aware of <laughs> no, no, Ireland. We tend to like our our, our dogs over here, it's, and it's really for when you call to a premises, generally for an EMS, a uh, emergency medical services call, uh, uh, and there's the big territorial, you know, Rothweiler or or, or or some form of aggressive dog, and it's protecting its owner who might be unresponsive on the floor, to allow us to get in and treat the patient. Well, you kind of got to use the dog catchers to. I suppose, mitigate the risk of the dog. So it's basically, it's a big long pole with a wire cable in it. You put one around the neck and you pull it so it kind of cinches down around the neck and you put a second one on from a different side so you can try to control the dog uh, and then generally just try and put it into another room to allow us to treat the patient. And that's, just, that's something in
0: North America. I think I talk about to some of the firefighters over there and they do wasp control. You guys do dog control. I think we yeah. generally hurt ourselves over here with some of this, but um, yeah. yeah, it's just something not really done here or thought of. So it's interesting to hear those types of things. Um, which kind of leads me into my next question is, so the type of calls you do some protester removal with the police, you do dog stuff, obviously you, Sounds like you've got some heavier extrication equipment. So I'm taking it that you're doing some vehicle extrication. What other types of calls do you do with the rescue, and what type of rope calls, like cliff, industrial?
1: You had said. Yeah, um, a couple of calls we have done. Um, <laughs> we had to kind of break into an animal shelter there a couple of months ago. Uh, the, the, the 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 animal shelter staff they couldn't get access in. Uh, and very cognizant that it's a charity and we didn't want to just take out the console and cut up the shutters and because the, there was a power outage in the area and it's just, you know, they don't have the money to be repairing this stuff. So we ended up getting, setting up the high ab crane above the roof, uh, but it was a real fragile roof with skylights. So we put two of the guys hanging out of the back of that high ab crane, like something from a milk tray ad and they kind of abseiled down and accessed into a skylight uh, and then it could open the doors, the emergency exit doors from the inside uh, and let the staff in. We did another rescue from uh, there was an atrium in a brand new uh, ten or twelve story tower, uh, ten or twelve story building in the city in the city center. Now this is a brand new building, and uh, we got a call one evening. There was two construction workers and they were in a man basket inside the central atrium. Now if you can imagine this, it's kind of like a giant cuddly toy grabber machine. They were in a man basket that operated from the inside of the roof and it moved left to right, forward and back and up and down. So it allowed them to clean the windows of the inside of the atrium because the windows were floor to ceiling. I think they are about three and a half metres high, uh, 400 kilos of, of fireproof reinforced glass. There was no openings in it. So this brand new building, the two guys were out testing it and they got stuck in the middle. And there's nowhere to get vehicle access inside. It's above your ground ladder's reach. So we got called, and we had to kind of make access in through the automatic opening vent for uh, in the roof. So one of the first things we kind of did when we, we got the call, we got, now the guys have been there for a few hours before we got the call, trying to solve it themselves by ringing the engineer, switch this, restart this. Eventually they, they ran out of ideas and they rang us. So we kind of got onto the roof, uh, open the automatic opening vent, um, and that was, what I, what I learned about that was when you do the manual override, if it starts to rain, it's just going to close all by itself. So when we've got ropes running over the edge, and it, and, you know, Ireland it rains a lot, there's a real risk of this window vent closing and cutting the ropes that we're hanging on. So we just kind of had to secure that up. So first thing we did was uh, we kind of we just lowered down lines to the two men in the man basket just to stabilize the situation a lot of what we do in dublin is we the first attending appliance will stabilize the situation and start to treat the patient while we wait for the rescue tender to come from fibsborough to kind of carry out a dynamic risk assessment and then decide on the particular rescue technique that's needed so these two guys have been sitting in this man basket stranded about 30 meters up inside a building for a couple of hours so we uh, we lowered a line to stabilize them and we secured it and then we lowered them down a bag with kind of bottles of Coke, Lucas uh, a few sweets and stuff just to keep them uh, going. So we accessed down um, to the man basket. And one of the guys was wearing a harness that was so perished, you couldn't, in all good conscience, try and them over the edge. And you really feared this, this, this harness would just disintegrate on him. Uh, And the other fella had his harness on upside down, literally upside down. So we had to do two rescues. One was a pick off rescue with a strop. Uh, The rescuer came down, put a strop around the casualty. We just raised him up over the edge with a a mechanical advantage and then abseil all the way down to the ground, to the atrium. And then the other fella, now this comes with risk. And we had to dress him into one of our rescue harnesses, 30 meters above the ground in a man basket. Now, it comes at risk, and that's part of the thing I like about rescue is, is the challenges, because nowhere in a training scenario are they ever going to come up with the idea. Here's a great idea. We're going to put you 30 meters above the ground. We're going to get you to somebody put on a harness while you're up there. So, But there was no other way of getting them down there. So part of our job is just assessing the risk and trying to mitigate it as best as possible. That actually
0: sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, maybe that should be the next scenario. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about it was brilliant because it was a successful outcome and that we were having a bit of crack with the lads, just kind of taking the heat out of it, de-escalating the situation. So, uh, yeah, it was good crack when we got them down there without hurting. But equally, it could have gone the other way where he could have fallen over and out while he was getting dressed in the harness. So it was kind of my job was to make sure that he didn't fall over the edge while he's getting dressed. Um, but yeah, it comes at risk. Like, some of the stuff we have to do, it's it's just downright dirty. You know, you, you just got to get stuck in and get the job done. It mightn't be straight out of the textbook manual, but it works. Um, and that's, I suppose, why I like rescue. Right on. Um, earlier in the podcast, you would mentioned that
0: Dublin Fire Brigade sends people out with the Coast Guard up to, you said, a couple hundred kilometers offshore. Now, is that a specific trained group inside of the fire service or do they just consider you as extra, not you,
1: but the fire service uh, personnel as extra staff? Or how does that exactly work? So in Ireland, uh, we have the Coast Guard and they're responsible for uh, search and rescue within Ireland um, and resolving maritime issues. So they have both a, a full-time staff and then they have volunteers as well, bases around the, around the country. So part of their uh, response is having um, Coast Guard helicopters for rescuing people at sea off vessels. And within their remit is they're responsible for resolving fires and, and, and rescues aboard vessels. So it's easier for them to capitalise on the wealth of experience of Dublin Fire Brigade. When it comes to firefighting, so we kind of have a, a service level agreement of sorts where we have 120 people within Dublin Fire Brigade trained up to a very high standard of specialized marine firefighting because it's not the same as a no more normal uh, domestic residence or uh, an industrial building. Ships, by their very nature, are pretty hostile areas. Uh, you don't have guardrails and walls to follow around. You know, you have a little kickboard two inches high. And next thing we saw that is the prop that's driving and driving the propeller. So there's the people that are they receive special training in ship firefighting, but parts of the course is you have to do your Hewitt training, which is your helicopter underwater evacuation training, which is brilliant. <laughs> Basically, I don't I don't know if you've ever if you done Hewitt training, Mark? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. But go on, explain it to the viewer that may know, yeah. or the listener that may not. Yeah, for those of you who don't know what Hewitt training is. Uh, what they do is they, they get a metal box to simulate a fuselage of a helicopter. They cut out a few holes for windows and they strap you into the seats. and Then they drop it into a really, really deep pool and then they turn it upside down. And then you have to get out, release the harness, push out the windows and surface all while holding your breath. And it's hilarious. But, uh, and this is just a prerequisite you need to do before you can fly above fly out over water with the Coast Guard. So basically it's, it's the two agencies work together. The Coast Guard, if there's a vessel needs assistance and we get the okay from our chief fire officer, we will pack, we have all our gear readily packed in bags that are weighed with the equipment so we can tell the Coast Guard, look, we've got six bags and they're weighing 100 kilos each so they can calculate their fuel loads. Uh, they'll either pick us up from our base or we'll move them out at their base. Uh, and then basically they'll fly us out drop us some equipment on a ship that's on fire and then they'll uh, sod off back and get some more people so you're kind of left out there with minimal equipment and uh your experience to kind of resolve the issues so yeah it's it's kind of it's fairly intense stuff but it's really really good and rewarding
0: that does sound like a lot of fun and that's fairly unique i don't i talk to a lot of people around the world and i don't I haven't heard of anything like that prior, so that is quite a unique situation there. It's just quite interesting. So,
1: yeah. So it's 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 not only is it a it's not confined just to our firefighting capabilities. It's also for if you've got people who might be stuck or what you would see a traditional industrial accident. Yep. But put it two hundred kilometers off the seaboard, so we can come and bring our extrication our extrication equipment. Uh, our winches and use our confined space training and equipment, breeding apparatus sets to go and rescue or recover people from those environments as well. That's so, all. Awesome. Uh, yeah. It's it, it, that's the really good thing about Dublin fire brigade is we're all cross trained as paramedics or advanced paramedics. So as well as bringing the rescue skills to, to bear, you're also bringing critical patient care uh, to a scene. So it's pretty good.
0: So just on that note, just on a quick tangent, Uh, What is the base level paramedic training for the Dublin firefighter? Uh,
1: So the base level paramedic training, so all our recruits come in, they'll do six months basic fire training, and that includes uh, the start of their paramedic course, which will be two months. And the whole paramedic internship now, it's a a degree level two-year internship involving hospital placements, uh, case studies, exams, interviews, uh, ride-alongs uh, as third person when they start off for a month, uh, just to see how things are done. So it's a, it's a whole it's a two-year process for a paramedic. Um, I think it's around twenty-three or twenty-eight drugs is what we kind of administer. I'd have to check that up though.
0: Yeah. So it's it's a full program. So there's at least a firefighter or more on every truck that has that training. Then. Oh no,
1: everyone on the truck. Oh wow! Okay. All the all the officers and all the firefighters. So it's really really good for in the ambulance service, if, there, if if there isn't an ambulance available for the more critical calls, what we would call the deltas and echoes, delta calls being, it's just a way of triage and deltas would be unresponsive and echoes would be a cardiac arrest. So, look, you, you know well, if you're trying to treat somebody in cardiac arrest, two people is not enough to do all the job. So we will always send a fire engine to augment it. You've got six paramedics there. If you're waiting for the ambulance, they can still treat and stabilize patients while you wait for transport so it's a really really efficient resource uh, and it's a great thing to have around dublin and we're kind of really proud of it that is awesome i mean that's uh, that's
0: quite the standard to have everybody trained to um i guess while we're talking about training with the rescue to go back to the original discussions around the podcast um do you train internally your teams do you bring outside providers in uh, is it a combination what's the duration and the frequency those types of questions
1: so um our rope rescue technician which would be our 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 entry level it's a it's a one-week course so we would train in-house all our instructors would get training from an outside agency and they would be kind of uh certifying us and then they come back periodically every two years or so to upskill us refresh us and maintain our currency and then we will train the rope rescue technicians in-house, a one-week course, and they must do a refresher every two years. Uh, So if there's any changes in skills or techniques, we will bring it in there. But then on station level, they have to do a certain amount of techniques every quarter or six months just to maintain the currency and competency within the role because it's low-frequency, high-risk stuff, this uh, rope rescue gig. doesn't happen very often. Uh, but if it does, it is the potential to go wrong very badly, very quickly. Um, so we would have a small amount of callouts every year, be kind of four to five, uh, on tower cranes where you have the operators going up, a slipped a broken ankle and they're caught in between one of the ladder sections on the tower section, yeah. or they've taken unwell up in the cab. But really, where we see it happening is if the ambulance crew has gone out and they need help with patient handling from uh, from a location. Um, then the fire engine gets made up to the scene as an afterthought. So it's very hard to get all statistics correctly because the call might have come in as a fractured leg, but it might necessitate a rope rescue response to recover the patient down to ground level to the ambulance. But we generally don't update the call on on our storm system in the control room. So the the number of calls is quite small, but it's, it's not an accurate reflection of what's going on on the ground. Okay. No, that makes total sense.
0: Um, you know, fairly similar. I also noticed, or I mean, I think i met you the first time over in Belgium. So I know your department's also keen and sends folks away to do training or competitions in other
1: locations. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So, yeah, and that was it. Like, I was actually really delighted to meet you because I kind of got to, you know, in person shake hands with the guy you see on the internet or the social media and you hear and you go, oh yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of like meeting, your, meeting meeting famous people is the way I took it. Uh, and I have to say, okay. thanks very much. For, you were pretty courteous to us and and very fair, so uh, I'll always respect you for that. Yeah, Grimp 2022 was the first time Dublin Fire Brigade, actually the first time any fire service from Ireland was uh, involved in a rope rescue competition like that. Um, So we kind of went over with the idea of Let's go over and learn. Uh, Our priority is not about competing. It's We are absolutely patient-centered in in everything we do. Um, So we went over there to kind of learn. That was our view. And then take back the lessons and then kind of disseminate them into our organization. That was kind of the the idea. So we went over there. We had an absolute whale of a time. Met some really, really cool people. And um, so we've signed up. We're, We're heading over to... Rescue great day in Seville and uh, the start of May. And we come home from that. And then uh, about 10 days later, we're going to Grimp 23 in Marseille. Um, come home from that. And about seven or eight days, maybe two weeks later, we're heading over to Exeter for uh, Clive Bush from Intervention Rescue. Yeah, top guy. He's organizing a, a one day event for inter-service, a term we call interoperability, where different emergency services come together. And instead of remaining siloed, going, I'm in charge and I'm only going to do X and you're going to do Y, it's about bringing us all together and saying, look, what can you bring and what can you offer and how we can work together and breaking down those barriers. So Clive has kindly invited us over for for a day's event there. Uh, We might make a weekend and a few beers out of it. Um, And then we'll take it from there. And I'd hope to do another one in September. And the idea is so Grimp last year was our first time ever competing. And um, to rescue, rescue great day this year, we're going to bring new team members with the same idea. We're going to bring them over, learn, see what it's about. And the team that we're going to bring to Grimp in Marseille, that'll be parts of the more experienced members. And we're going to go over there and give it a little bit more of a crack and compete now that we know what we're doing. But it, it's kind of hard because my heart lies with patient care and the competing, some of the parts of the competition are nearly in co- uh, contradiction of that. So some of the techniques that you might do specifically for competition, we would never do operationally. And I don't really, I don't have the money, but, uh, you know, spending time doing that, I can, I'll, I'll take the hit in it where we'll be a little bit slower, maybe in ascending than some of the other uh, teams from kind of around Asia. They are just absolute savages for climbing lines. <laughs> They're just amazing to watch. Uh, but we would never use some of their setups operationally. So I don't want to teach bad lessons to my guy and my guys uh, on the team. So that's kind of where we're at with competitions, and where I would hope for this project to go would be to the confined space of I, I already put in an ex um an expression of interest with uh, CMC about heading over to Grim North America in March twenty twenty four because that really piqued my attention with the. The retired battleships and all the confined space. That's my kind of party.
0: There you go. Um, I think you'll find Rescue Grade Day is different than the Grimp Day. They emphasize some different things. We competed there last year. Um, so it'll be uh I think of a of a bit of interest to you, which would be good. And at the end of the day, you just have some different techniques picked up and whatnot. So it's uh it's really good from that point of view just playing around with the different techniques and you know you talk about Clive I should talk to him I'll probably see him in Japan in a month maybe I'll try to get over to the UK and take a look at that interoperability cuz that would be something of interest for us in the fire districts where we work cuz we have a lot of different cities inside of Vancouver and interoperability was never on anybody's forefront for thought when we did a lot of this stuff <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a new enough concept o- over here. When I say new enough, you know, 10 or 15 years, which is, in the grand scheme of things, is new enough. Yeah. And um, it, it's, it's breaking down the barriers of, of, of fiefdoms. And um, I, I would fully subscribe to it. And the kind of plan is, if I actually get a spare few minutes, is I want to this year bring a couple of the fire services from around Ireland, the Coast Guard, uh, Civil Defence, the military. I want to bring it together about six or seven teams and kind of set up a day workshop around interoperability principles. Uh, but also to show them some of the things that we the lessons we learned from Grimp, because I, I don't want to hoard all this information. I want to spread it out to the industry and, and to the other emergency services there and you know, you know, let them off with it. Oh, absolutely.
0: So um we've been at this almost an hour. So wow. I'm really, yeah, I know it just
1: flies by, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the Irish in me. You know, Irish people, we just love to talk and tell stories.
0: <laughs> no, it's good. We'll probably have to get you back on at some point to go down some of these rabbit holes. But that was a really good overview of kind of the whole rescue scene in Ireland. And, and I learned a bunch about it. So that was uh, quite enjoyable. Uh, do, you have anything else? do you have anything else you want to add into
1: this? Yeah, no, look, uh, yeah, look, if... if... <laughs> If you think there's any more you can you can ring out of my brain in the future, you, I'd happily come back I'm, I'm, To say it again. I'm absolutely honoured that that you 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 asked me to come on the podcast because I'm sitting here going, I'm in this little island, this little island in the corner of you know Western Europe here, and going, I have no business being on this, yeah. and that would be the imposter syndrome within me and the 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 humility of going, oh God, you know, which is why it took me so long to get over the grip. There's kind of like oh, they're the rock stars. There's no way I'm at their level. And eventually, uh, I got my finger out there. What was it? Not last year, the year before. Uh, and I just went over on a recce. Uh, and I saw what was going on. And I says, hey, you know what? We could have a go at this. We'll give this, a, we'll give this a crack. So that was, I got the team together. The chief gave us his backing, and he kind of helped us out and supported us. And we went over there. That's awesome. I mean, that's to have that support and to... And like you say,
0: I mean, for anybody listening that's got a team and wants to go try one of these, it's it's just rope rescue techniques and it's going to make you better no matter how good you think you are or how much you think you need to improve. And I think you would agree with that, Dave. Like, it just makes you better.
1: It does. And I, I can't quite put my finger on it. Like, I've been thinking about this a lot uh, when we are talking to the lads and that went over. It says, it's not as if it was – oh, there was that specific technique or that particular manoeuvre. I can't put my finger on the actual specifics, but you just came back better. You just absorbed everything. It's the whole package of being around people, like-minded. It's just, yeah, I I can't recommend it enough for people to go. If if you're at all interested in this, get yourself a team together, go over, have the crack, you learn loads and you'll make good friends.
0: Oh, I I think... You know, we, we've done the same sort of conversations and I think it's just having more experience solving problems with rope in different environments, because I'm sure you're the same as us. When we train, we have our go to areas and they get stale after a while and you have your peers judging you. You have different environments and different challenges thought up by people that, you know, have just a different
1: twist on it than you. And it's just like you say, it's a it's good fun. It is. Actually, you, you hit the nail on the head there with something you just said there. Um, It's problem solvers and I'm going to absolutely offend loads of people with my next statement <laughs> and feel free to cut it out. But without a shadow of a doubt, my experience is the best problem solvers on this planet are firefighters. Uh, and that's my experience Um, from working in a couple of different industries. Uh, and I don't know what it is. It, it must be Like we go to calls uh, and we bring, look at this example of when we bring patients into the emergency department, they're pretty much all the paramedic and advanced paramedic interventions are done. They're packaged correctly either on a combi board and they're handed over to the emergency department and they get the patient received pretty much the same way each time, different injuries, but it's packaged neatly for them. Firefighters, in Dublin because we're all paramedics. We got to get that patient from impaled on a railing two stories up and have them down treated and packaged for the for the hospital. Or you have a telecommunications worker who is unresponsive suspended on the fall arrest line here. It's at the top of a telegraph pole after suffering an, uh, an MI, uh, sorry, a heart attack. We got to get them down, treat them, bring it to the hospital. So as problem solvers, there's nobody like firefighters for being problem solvers on the planet now i know i'm just after offending an entire raft of professionals but uh look that's my opinion see i always thought it was because i don't know about
0: your fire department but a lot of times we have to do a little more with a little less so you have to figure out how to problem
1: solve very quickly <laughs> yeah absolutely but, but here's the other thing there's no one else to call what are you going to do you know exactly. i don't have a phone line to somebody else to help me out somebody on their worst day is after ringing us looking for help and it's up to it's up to us to solve the problem for them
0: absolutely i agree with you on that one a hundred percent so uh once again dave it's been a slice having you on and uh we'll probably have to get you back and get a couple of these other stories out and uh i just really appreciate you
1: coming on and doing this uh thanks very much mark it's been my pleasure